All right. Is that any better? Yes. Can you hear me? Ah. Oh. Okay. I'm not going to start over, but welcome foundation level students. Um, I'm not sure how to do that. Oh, so it's not going to come through the speakers? All right. Tell me if you can't hear me because uh, my voice is a little low right now. Um, that's the, uh, the result of breathing the clean air of Ohio when I'm used to China and Los Angeles. So um, <coughs> get a little scratchy. Um, so this first slide is me, obviously. And there's two things on there that are really strange. The first one is uh, recently retired because it seems like yesterday that I was sitting right where you guys are just starting my career or starting my academia, uh, in fact. Um, obviously, this building wasn't even here. In fact, you people weren't even born yet. But um, it, honestly, the time has gone by so quickly. I, you know, it's just truly in the blink of an eye. The second thing that's really strange about that is the fact that I retired from Walt Disney Imagineering. Um, so I have a question to the group here. How many people sitting in this room have ever thought about or are thinking about um, pursuing a career with Disney or at least looking at the options and possibility with a career in Disney? Show of hands. Okay, so that looks like probably about half the room. So what's strange about this then? I wasn't. I never planned on a, a career with Disney. Didn't even think about it, frankly. Um, and it just happened as my career path unfolded. So the first message that I'm going to leave with all of you is as you start down that career path, you will come to forks in the road. It happens all the time. And you'll have an opportunity to go in a completely different direction. Now, those of you that have a clear vision of where you want to end up, more power to you. And keep pursuing that. Head toward that goal. Having goals is really important. But don't negate the opportunity to go in a different direction when it presents itself. And I learned that uh, several times, and you'll see that throughout my presentation. Um, so WDI is an acronym for Walt Disney Imagineering. Walt Disney Imagineering is the um, division of the company that conceptualizes, designs, develops, and executes theme parks and theme parks attractions. Um, and um, we called ourselves Imagineers. Imagineering is a great term because it is all about the marriage of imagination and engineering. And that's one of the things, another point that I'm gonna, I want to get across to all of you today. Collaboration, teamwork um, is essential in what you do along the path of your career. And with Imagineering, it was the name of the game. Um, like I said, teamwork, partnership, collaboration goes through all of this. And you'll find it out every step of the way along your career. And I've made a short list here. So I was part of the creative division. In the creative division, we incorporated um, creative directors, creative producers, um, sculptors, painters, model builders. The, the list is long. We interacted on a regular basis with architects, interior designers, engineers. I worked with structural engineers. I worked with mechanical, electrical, plumbing engineers, audio engineers. Um, the whole business side of it, especially once I became a producer, the business side was really important. So I was interacting with finance team, with budgets, with estimating, scheduling, planning, all of that. And you know, I started out as a rock and roll drummer, so who knew? Um, so just know that as your career unfolds, you're going to have opportunities to learn other things. I mean, if I had it to do over again, I would absolutely have taken a class in engineering. I would have taken a class in finance, uh, business management. There's so many things that can help you with your career along the way. I was fortunate. Mine unfolded in a way 
But it didn't unfold in a way that was easy. In fact, it was incredibly difficult. It took a lot of hard work, commitment, and passion. Um, Shanghai, China. The last five years of my career with Disney was spent um, basically working on the Shanghai Disneyland project. And three of those years, I was traveling back and forth from Los Angeles to Shanghai two times a month. And so it's crazy. I wasn't sleeping on either side of the globe, uh, as you might imagine. Um, and then the last two years, I, I moved there as an expat. My lovely wife, Maureen, couldn't move with me, so she came over to visit me occasionally. Um, and when she did, we would, uh, I would take a day or two off from work, which was absolutely almost unheard of. And so it wasn't really a day off from work because I have my phone with me. And I was on conference calls in the middle of rice fields in uh, you know, rural China. But it was a great time. So huge city, Shanghai. Traditional architecture, modern architecture. And what I loved the most about it was the juxtaposition of the two all over the city. You could find it anywhere. So it's just an amazing city. It was an amazing experience, the most difficult, challenging thing I ever did in my life. And every day I thought I wouldn't get through the next day, but I did somehow. And now I look back at it and it was absolutely the most amazing um, and rewarding experience of my entire career. But that's a teaser. I'm going to show you Shanghai Disneyland at the end of this presentation. That, that way, hopefully, I can keep you around. Uh, because otherwise, and I have a lot to, a lot to tell you. And um, I don't want you falling asleep, so I'm going to try to go fast. Hard work, commitment, and passion. Like I said, you've got to believe in what you're doing. And especially, you know, at the, at the early days of, um, of your, your, your academic experience, you know, it, it took a lot of hard work for me to get through college. <laughs> Seven years, in fact. It took me to get through college. I had no money. I had to fund my own way through school. It took me another four years to get through graduate school. So, um, and none of it came easy. So just remember that. You know, um, I don't think there's such a thing as a free ride out there. So hard work, and and, and you got to love what you're doing. So for me, I grew up down the road, 20 miles down the road, Salem, Ohio. I love the sciences. Um, I used to I spend hours looking through a microscope. I had a laboratory in my parents' basement. And um, I was always down there doing something, looking through the microscope at all sorts of different things on the slides. I was dissecting animals. I would go for a hike in the woods, and I, once I found a dead skunk, or I <laughs> brought it home, took out the brain, took out the heart, you know, I, dissecting frogs, all that kind of stuff. But I liked rockets, too, so I was building rockets. I actually shot a frog up in a rocket once. Um, and, you know, the parachute didn't deploy. But it, it crash landed, but the frog hopped away. So I, I, I thought it was a success. Anyway, I love the sciences. Well, I never got involved in art or anything creative. I love the sciences. I used to win science fair awards. And it was a long time down the road that I, I figured out that it was because my, uh, my displays were cool, because I loved building things and working with my hands. But again, it was kind of a collaboration, because it was my, my creative ideas in formulating the, the display you know, coupled with knowledge of, uh, that I had for the sciences. So it, it goes back to that sort of marrying. Um, yeah, fourth grade. In fourth grade, they gave us a music aptitude test. If you pass the test, you could take a musical instrument, learn how to play a musical instrument, and they would pick, uh, do lessons for free. And it was really about grooming people for the uh, marching band. And I really didn't want to play in the marching band, but I did want to be a drummer because I was always banging on something. I still always banging on something. But um, anyway, I took drum lessons and I passed the test, so I started taking, you know, started learning how to play the drums. And then something happened, and this is something I'm sure you've all heard about, but you weren't there to experience it live. The Beatles happened, and um, my friend Paul, who was also 
um, uh, taking music lessons, playing slide trombone at the time. And he decided, okay, I'm, I'm forget the trombone, I'm going to learn how to play guitar. So he took guitar lessons, we formed a band, and um, this is it, the Spectrums. We killed it. We, this was a seventh grade talent show at our junior high school auditorium, and we were like, you know, so this started sort of my dreams about um, being a rock and roll band. Later down, we became the sound barrier, and um, this was uh, one of our you know, promo shots in the graveyard. Every rock band had to have just one promo shot in the graveyard. Um, and we made a couple of records. We had, uh, um, uh, this was our second record. We added uh, a female vocalist, and um, we ended up you know, being on all the radio stations around here. I think it was WHOT in Youngstown. I don't know if that still exists or not. Uh, we were playing in Youngstown, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, playing all over the place. So I was like, I'm a rock star, you know, I'm good. this is it. I don't have to ever have a real job. I'm going to be a rock star. Well, it didn't quite turn out that way. But um, this was us playing live. Yep. Starting to get a little thin in the hair up there. But... <laughs> um, so the band, we graduated from high school, and we've been very successful at that point. And we wanted to keep the band together, but we were, we were underneath it all. We thought, well, what if this doesn't work out? We need a fallback plan. So the fallback plan was to go to college. It's like, we're going to go to college. So we did. So we moved up here and uh, lived on Arlington Street. It was a house of five guys. And I think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's where Taco Bell is on the corner down there. Anyway, Arlington Street at that time was residential before the university had expanded. And a house full of five guys, a house full of guys beside us, a house full of guys across the street, it was party central. And I was playing in the band five nights a week, majoring in biology. <laughs> and you know, I, I registered late. I screwed up, registered late. So I had to take calculus, organic chemistry, you know, statistics. It was insane in playing in the band. I couldn't do it. So um, I finally said, this is not working. My fallback plan is not going to work. I'm just going to be a rock star. So. Um, <laughs> It, it, yeah, I, so I dropped out of school, you know, and I don't want to tell you my GPA at the time, but let's just say it took me a long time to bring it up. Um, so then the band had gone through transitions as bands do. One member left, another band member came in, and then pretty soon we, uh, we're, we said, we're screw it, we're going to do all originals, because we were playing in clubs and, and bars and, you know, fraternity parties and stuff, and, you know, at that point they wanted to hear the popular music of the day, so we said, nah, we're done, we're going to play all originals, we're going to be rock stars, this is the only way to do it, and then so we stopped getting, yes, basically what happened, so, um, so again, rock and roll dreams were starting to get shattered. And I had gone to a museum, and I think it was in Cleveland, and I saw Salvador Dali, and it kind of inspired me. This stuff is really cool. So I picked up a canvas and some paints and started painting this sort of surrealistic stuff. And um, I had a friend, a really good friend from Greenford, Ohio, Bill. And Bill said, you know, you're pretty good. You should take an art class. And I thought, oh, I had never thought of that. And so um, there was a class being taught by Al Bright here at the university. It was art appreciation. And so I took this class and um, kind of opened my eyes up, and I thought, wow, this is a whole other world that I sort of hadn't been involved in yet. And so, long story short, um, if I am able to do that, um, you know, I changed my major to fine art. And it was that Salvador Dali influence that started. And, you know, it took all the classes, painting, jewelry, you know, weaving, everything I took sort of opened up a whole new, I, you know, avenue of ideas to explore. I loved it. So then, um, 
one of the things I learned, and I learned this from one of my painting uh, professors who, who kept nudging me saying, because yeah, I was doing this really detailed, uh, you know, surrealistic stuff, and he said, you've got to loosen up. You know, you're just too tight. You're too focused. Just loosen up. And he, this was James Laporte, and he was uh, an abstract expressionist. And so I, uh, I, I was working on this painting. It was four feet by four feet, and I finally got to the point where I, I was so tired of him pushing me. I threw the canvas on the ground, and I started throwing paint on it. And I ended up with something that was like really cool. And it's like, again, it opened up. You know, it's like, look at this differently than you've been looking at it before. And then Professor Richard Mitchell, who I like to call Mitch because we're friends, um, he's the guy. He was teaching uh, sculpture at the time. He was teaching photography at the time and uh, pre-Columbian art history. And once I got into sculpture, I really realized that I felt better working three-dimensionally than I did two-dimensionally. So. Um, uh, the original pieces that I was working on were stacked laminated wood pieces, which gave me forms, and then I uh, carved them with a body grinder and stuff. So this is on my early sculpture. Now, some of the stuff, again, it makes me cringe a little when I look at it now, especially if you see my later work. But, but this was, this is what I was doing. With. And this piece here was more about technical challenge. How do you make two columns twist around each other, you know, and, and carve this with a body grinder? But this is the piece right here. It was the first piece I ever did, stacked laminated sculpture. And I was working on it, and I was building and grinding and building and grinding and, and you know, cognizant of positive shapes, negative shape. bless you. Positive, negative shape relationships and how light interacts, you know, everything you, that you learn about three-dimensional um, pieces in, in sculpture. And I was, it wasn't working for me. It was like bottom heavy and it was symmetrical and I didn't like it and I, I kept working and working and working. And Mitch came over one day and he said, why don't you flip it upside down? And I went, Okay, I hadn't thought of that. And I flipped it upside down, and all of a sudden, it had a whole sense of energy, the dynamics, and it, it worked. And it, so again, learning to look at things differently, because you look at something the same way for such a long period of time, you can't see it the other way. Sometimes you've got to flip it upside down. Um, then welded car buffers. I went, again, I wanted to learn how to weld. Mitch would, I stole this idea from him. He was, Mitch's uh, medium at the time was working with car bumpers. So I went to the junkyard and got some, stole the idea, but it was more about learning the technique. Then I said, well, I want to learn how to combine the two. So again, a technical challenge. How do you combine wood and metal and make it work? So that was some of my early sculpture, which really got me thinking about a whole new way. And then back to sort of the reality. I, I, another thing that, that um, the reason I brought up Richard Mitchell is that he was a guy. Now I'm I'm still you know on the throes of the rock and roll band. I, at that time, it was long hair and a mustache. Um, even though it was thinning, it was long hair and a mustache. And there was Mitch, my sculpture professor, standing up there lecturing with long hair and a mustache. And I'm back in the back of the room looking at him, going, "That could be me. I could do that. What a cool sort of profession to be able to teach art and do your art." And it got me thinking in a whole different direction. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I better make sure I can teach, first of all. So I, I, I went to, um, this is me, a uh, student teaching in Boardman High School. I taught also in middle school and, and elementary school and got my K-12 K certificate. Then I uh, received my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, YSU 1976. And uh, thanks to Mitch's help, I got accepted into the, the Ohio University uh, graduate program down in Athens. Um, unfortunately, at the time I was, it was before Maureen, I was uh, married and going through a nasty divorce that was not pleasant, and so emotionally I wasn't ready to go to graduate school, and financially the band wasn't playing anymore, so I had no money. So I postponed it for a year, and uh, they said they, they, they allowed me to do that. And then I needed a job, so I got this job, this company called Maintenance Technician. 
tarring roofs, refinishing gym floors. I don't know how many brain cells I killed because I was, you know, laying out varnish on entire gymnasium floors, you know, with just a little paper mask on. And, you know, carrying hot tar buckets on the roof. I had to get a job because I needed to, to find a way to fund my graduate school. Um, and then I got an opportunity to work at this custom van shop. And this, uh, the gentleman who owned the shop, Dave, he uh, would buy empty vans, and we would go in and trick them out and put shag carpeting and paneling and stereo systems. And we put a hot tub in one, you know. It was, it was awesome, but it allowed me to use some of my woodworking skills to sort of, you know, ha have fun with this. And that turned out to be really important later on. You'll see why. Um, and then there was a, 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 an artist by the name of Wendell Castle, and he was doing these stack laminated sculpture pieces. The difference was he, he was doing them as functional art, so he was making tables and chairs and lamps. And I thought, okay, now there's an idea, because, you know, I knew it was going to be hard for me to make a living selling my sculpture. But if I could turn it into something functional, there might be help. So um, this was a bed I made. Don't laugh, okay? This thing weighed a flipping ton. And, and yet, it, this was a commission that I got. This guy had seen my twisted sculpture piece, and he said, hey, can you make me a bed with a corner post in that? I said, yes. So now I got, and, and he, so I made it. He loved it. It took you know, an army of people to move this thing. Um, but he loved it, and I got some money. Now I've got some money in the bank. Maybe I can you know, start funding my graduate school. Um, and then at the same time, I thought, you know, I went back to my friend Bill, who uh, had convinced me to go to art school, and he was making stained glass lamps, these Tiffany lamps. And I said, you know what, I'm thinking about doing a coffee table that has lights underneath it and there's stained glass in the top. And so I, I brought Bill in and we collaborated on this piece, and this is me working in the garage. And then this was the final piece. It sort of had my morphic shapes, but Bill's designed for the stained glass. And it was really fun collaborating. And then um, in 1978, I actually got my first one-person art show right here at Kilcully Center. And that, again, was thanks to, to Richard Mitchell and, and Dr. Luzona also, who was my drawing teacher at the time. Um, they got me a one-person show. So, um, you know, I had my sculpture, I had the bed, I had the table, and my car bumper pieces. And now I felt like an art star. So the rock star thing didn't work. Now I'm going to be an art star. Well, you know, again, it was short-lived, but at least got the self-confidence that maybe I can make something happen with my art. So then I started applying to graduate schools. And back then it was 35 millimeter slides. And you had to send sheets of your slides of your, your artwork in. And you know, yet there was a fee for every one of them. And uh, I kept getting rejected and rejected and rejected. And then I had a friend who had moved out to Long Beach, California. And Long Beach State University was one of the schools that I applied to. And I hadn't heard from him yet. And I said, screw it. I'm, I'm moving to California. So I packed everything I had in the back of my Ford Pinto, um, which, was, which was basically my woodworking tools, my stereo and vinyl records, and two pairs of jeans. And I got on the road to California. And um, in 1979, July 4th, I'll never forget it, I got there and my sister, whose house I was living in before I left, forwarded a letter of acceptance from Cal State Long Beach. And so I was like psyched. It was like, I, I, I'm in California, I've been accepted to the graduate program. And then this next clause. Uh, um, so, so right off the bat, I went down to, uh, to meet with the graduate school um, uh, advisors and, and, and the dean of the graduate school. And um, I couldn't start, because I was in the middle of summer, I couldn't start till the fall. And um, they said, but there's an apprenticeship you can take. And I thought, OK, that would be cool. There's this master woodworker by the name of John Nyquist. Um, and he hand-carved furniture. Um, you know, it's just, just amazing. And, 
I put this in here because an internship is something that you guys can think about. And I'll tell you, um, the Walt Disney Company does, um, you know, I don't know the number, but they do internships in all different divisions of the company every year. And it's something to think about applying for because some of them pay absolutely nothing, some of them maybe pay a little bit, but the, 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 the value far outweighs anything that, you know, that, that monetarily you receive from it. So I highly recommend looking into internships when you get ready to graduate. So this is John Nyquist, master furniture designer. This was a piece that I helped him on. I was the grunt. All I did was sand and oil, but I learned how to make you know, hand-carved joints. And, and I, I learned about wood, and these are all hardwood. You know, before, I was just stack laying cheap pine. I would go buy a bunch of pine and just glue it and nail it together. This is the real thing. So now, I need a job again. I'm out in California, accepted to graduate school. I had enough money to get me you know, through maybe the next month rent. And I thought, OK, how am I going to do this? Um, I had to get a job, so put the word net networking up because that's another thing that, that's going to um, intertwine through all of this, is the people you meet, the relationships you make, you have to maintain those. Don't let them go, because you never know when somebody's going to go from here to here and here to there, and you'll cross paths again, and it could create a great opportunity. This networking was about my father. My father and I did not have a very good relationship. I was a hippie. He was not. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I said, look, Dad, I'm out in California. He had a friend who had moved out there and, he, and, and who, who was working in a company called McDonnell Douglas, which is where they built DC pens. So he called him up and said, hey, is there an opportunity for my son to get a job? And um, he, he, so I talked to him and he said, yeah, I think they're hiring right now. You should go down. Here's the address. So I went down and walked in this room. And honestly, it was bigger, room bigger than this probably 200 people sitting there filling out an application, and I'm thinking, no way, I'm not going to get a job here. Well, all of a sudden they call my name, and I go up and they say, so you used to install interiors in custom vans? And I went, yeah, okay, you're going to be an interior installer in DC-10 aircraft. And I went, yes. So now, I'm in California, I got a job, you know, and, and I'm going, but, you know, I still had to try to, try to get uh, graduate school classes, because I, I could only go part-time. So I was, I was doing this job for two days. And they came to me and they said, OK, changed our mind. You're going to be a, a structural mechanic. You need to go to aviation structural mechanic school. And I'll tell you, you know, the, this job, by the way, sucked in a big way. I can't tell you how bad this job was. I don't want to get into that. But it got me through graduate school. And the best thing, it taught me how to read, read blueprints. So again, if I had this to do over again, I would have gone and taken some engineering classes because learning to read blueprints became instrumental in my career with Disney in so many ways I can't even begin to tell you. So here's me walking around with my giant camera taking pictures. I could have got fired any second somebody saw me with this because we didn't have cell phones back then. You couldn't take you know, uh, covert photos. So I'm walking around. With, but uh, I usually did it like uh, during the third shift or something when nobody's around. And I loved, you know, these jet engines were like pieces of sculpture to me. So this actually influenced a later series of, of art that I ended up doing. But the blueprint reading was the key to this job. Okay. Now, I, the other thing about McDonnell Douglas, they allowed me to take classes around the schedule. So I started off taking, I uh, was working during the day at McDonnell Douglas, and I was taking night classes. So one of the first night classes I took was bronze casting. Bronze casting. I wanted to learn how to cast, you know, uh, molten bronze. And it just so happened that the gentleman right here that's working with me on lowering the kiln over the ceramic, for the ceramic shell casting process is Claire Graham. And Claire Graham was only teaching one class part-time at the university at night, was this bronze casting class. His real job was at the Disneyland Entertainment Art Department. 
which he managed. And so um, I became his right-hand man, because again, another process that was like exciting to me, and it was new, and it was like, but nobody wanted to do it. None of the other students wanted to do this. It was hard work, it was hot, it was sweaty, it was dirty. So mostly everyone else stood around and watched Claire and I pour the bronze. But I'll tell you, again, not only the, the learning experience of doing it uh, firsthand, but the relationship that I formed with Claire. We became friends. He started throwing me freelance work. He said, hey, we're making some bronze Mickey Mouses. And um, but the university would let him use the foundry, since he was, you know, he was teaching there part-time. And um, I would end up helping him pour the bronze Mickey Mouses. Then I would clean them all up and make wooden bases and pass them off to him. And it was an extra form of income for him. So then, my graduate school art. OK, let's say, now I'm changing. So this is my first bronze piece. And very different from the wood pieces that I did. You know, I'm starting to explore a little more with the shape. But this piece was, you know, I, again, I'm learning processes. I made it out of clay. I had to make a flexible mold and then a hard mold. And then I had to t take the clay out and pour the wax in and had to learn how to uh, screw and gate and do ceramic shell. A lot of people in the room probably doesn't mean anything about, you know, the process. But for me, learning that process was amazing to get from a clay to a finished bronze piece. Um, then I started combining materials, my biology influence. So I said, yeah, okay. I want to um, do some stack lamination in bronze. So this obviously is the bronze in the middle and stack lamination here and here. But this was an engineering thing because I want this to be cantilevered out the side. Well, that bronze piece is heavy. So this piece wants to follow. The top is hollow, the bottom is filled with cement. So again, figured out engineering-wise, how do I make this work? Because it was an idea I had, and I had to figure out the engineering side of it. And then I did furniture, back to the window castle influence. I did what I call my anatomical series, bronze and wood, you know, that goes back to sort of my biology days and some of the shapes and form. Table and chair, all cast in bronze and uh, exotic hardwoods. And then uh, I wanted to involve my friends in my work. I liked the idea of collaboration, so I thought, how am I going to do this? And, you know, as a sculptor, I, all my sculpture was um, abstract. You know, I wasn't good at, you know, carving people's faces or drawing people's faces. Um, and some people are. Some people, I've seen some incredible, and worked with some incredible sculptors who can, you know, capture a likeness of somebody's face. Not me. So I figured out how to do it. I'm going to take a mold of their face. So this is me with my, well, probably former friends now, because after I did this to my friends, they, and I did it to Maureen, too. She almost divorced me. Uh, but, but I was able to get the faces, and this was the end result of, Claire's face in bronze, David, my studio partner and, 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 and friend, in bronze on the other side, and my face in acrylic resin. And the other thing that I did with this is, is when I made that extension on my, my face and, and, uh, and made the mold, I, aside from casting this one resin piece, I cast about half a dozen fiberglass pieces, thinking maybe I'll use these and other pieces down the road, and I do, you'll see in a moment. So this was the, that finished piece. And the irony of this piece was this started off to be a paper. And it goes back to that, you know, looking at things differently. I had a, it just wasn't working for me as a table. It wasn't working, wasn't working. So I flipped it over, and this sort of evolved. This was fun. Um, then for my master's thesis. You know, to, do, to get a thesis, uh, uh, you have to come up with, uh, you know, something that's relevant to, to your world, to your art. For me, um, it was my music. It goes back to the days when I was, I was doing music. And I thought, how cool would it be to make a set of drums? And so, um, uh, so I did. <laughs> so I started off with this crude little model of clay and said, and the whole idea was that I make these shells that are sort of organic and they open up and they project the sound out. Um, and then this is the finished set made out of Imbuya, which is a hardwood from Africa. And then the rims, uh, 
cast in bronze, and the stands cast in bronze, all tunable uh, drum heads, and then I gave a performance at my master show, and it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. And actually, after that, I had a few other art shows where I, I got to perform out in public. And, um, just fun. Um, so then, 1983, after four hard years, I got my master of fine arts degree, California State University. And um, through the course of those four years, I started teaching part-time. I was eventually able to quit my job at McDonnell Douglas because I was getting a lot of freelance work through Disney, and I was teaching part-time at Long Beach State. So all of a sudden, and then as I got toward the end, I had a full-time class load. So there I was. I was being Mitch. I was, all of a sudden, I achieved my goal. I was a college professor teaching art and doing my artwork. So, wow, this is cool. So the rock star thing didn't work. The art star thing kind of worked. But now I'm actually a college professor. I thought, I'm where I want to be. And then Claire comes to me and says, how would you like to work for Disney? And I went, oh, crap. And that's what I was talking about, this fork in the road. You know, because I was never planning on working for Disney. And I thought, well, you know what? I have an MFA now. I can always go back to teach. I thought, i got to try this. i got to try this. So I did. So I went to the Disneyland Entertainment Art Department, which if you take the first letter of each one of those, it spells out dead. So we were called the dead. Um, and, um, you know, I went for freelance to a full-time position at the Entertainment Art Department. But it, didn't, it wasn't for that much money. It was more about, okay, here's an opportunity. Get put the door at Disney. Um, try something new. And I'll tell you, it was, uh, it was the best thing I ever did because we did everything from bronze Mickey Mouses to models for parade floats, Christmas parade here. Um, we worked on the 1984 Olympics and how we would overdress the uh, Coliseum in L.A. Movie premieres. We worked at all these movie premieres. Um, some flopped, some didn't. And then wacky things like the release of a million balloons, which is called Skyfest, which obviously you could never do now. And, uh, but it was unbelievable. Uh, and, and, and for all this stuff, we were pulling all-nighters all the time. I mean, it was like an exhausting job. And then through it, because of the networking, I was meeting all these people in the entertainment industry. So um, I ended up getting involved in TV specials and TV commercials. And again, nothing that I ever planned on doing. It just sort of all unfolded. Um, I, Gallagher, this is a comedian. Um, uh, I, I, was, I was the assistant art director on this HBO special. And his shtick was he smashed his watermelon. You can see all these people covered in plastic. And so they ended up with you know, watermelon guts all over the place. It was crazy, but uh, David Sakharov was the art director. I was the assistant art director, and I helped him build the whole set, build and install the whole set. And that was, it was fun. It just, this things came up, and it, I was still working full-time for Disney, but I'd take this on on the side. TV commercials. This was uh, an IBM commercial. And I, again, worked on this, the set pieces and stuff. And this gentleman right here, Ed Martin, was the cinematographer. And his wife, Sandy, was actually the producer of commercials. And I ended up... Maureen and I both ended up being really good friends with them and Sandy. They're great people. Um, and then Sandy comes to me and said, look, Ed's birthday's coming up. I want you to take a mold of his face and do an art piece of Ed. So I did. So I ended up, this is Ed in this art, an art piece that is on their wall now. And then the other thing that was really cool about this goes back to relationships, networking, and another fork in the road. So Sandy says to me, look, there's a lot of work in LA if you want it. If you want to work in a TV business, if you want to work on commercials, you can have tons of work, but you can't live in Long Beach. And Long Beach is like 30 miles south of LA. I said, you've got to live in LA. So I thought, okay. So you know what? I quit Disney. And I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going out on my own. I'm taking a risk. So I left Disney and um, decided to start my own company. So did a, a doing business as Larry A. Designs. And I took on all sorts of wacky things, you know. But to do it, 
I had to set up shop in downtown LA and I had a friend, the studio partner, Ruthie, who um, at the time was trying to get a studio space in downtown LA. She said, I found this big empty warehouse. There's a sink and a toilet in it, that's all. You want to go in, in the studio with me? And she was only going to use it on the weekend. And I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to live there. So I, uh, I moved into, this is going across the Fourth Street Bridge. This is the loft. We were upstairs on the top floor. Um, and, and this is a pile of stuff, me starting to build this uh, uh, studio space out. And the thing was, when we do these commercials, um, we would build these sets. And because it was a one-time shoot, you do the shoot, everything goes in the dumpster. And so now, instead of going in the dumpster, it all started going back in my pickup truck. And so all of this stuff, so I literally built out my studio from stuff that I had collected from doing all these TV things. Um, and so this is me in the process of dividers and building walls and building platforms. I built a kitchen, I built a shower, I put a dark room in, um, and this was my studio and, um, and my living space. And it was fine, it was a great period of my life. Actually, this is when I met Mark. Um, and I was doing all sorts of projects. And again, this is where the blueprint reading came in. So I guess somebody give me a set of blueprints. I need to make this model. And so I would make the model. And this was actually at Disneyland again. And this was for a science exhibit. And this was for a zoo exhibit. And I made awards for Disney again. They kept coming back to me. Architects, again, architectural models. And then some of the people that I was working with in the TV business came to me and said, hey, I like your artwork, would you make me some furniture? And this was a commission for a uh, table, and he wanted it all glass. Well, I hadn't done anything out of glass at that time, so this was, a, you know, again, exploring new materials and stuff. Um, but I built the model, and then I went, found glass companies, and farmed it out, and got this thing built. Then, this was the wackiest thing that ever happened to me. When I was teaching part-time at Long Beach State, one of my students came to me, called me up, and said, hey, I'm working for a company called Martin Brinkerhoffs. We do big presentations. And at the time, it was all about slideshows because there was no digital back then. And he said, we're doing these big presentations for the king of Saudi Arabia, King Fahd at the time. And it's about the renovations of the mosques at Mecca and Medina. And we're going to do a presentation. And once the presentation is done, we're going to have a photo album and a VHS cassette. We want to put it in a really nice wood box and give it to the king. Are you interested? And I went, yes. And so with my friend David, this was the box we made. It was rosewood and sandalwood and it had this carp, this is the emblem, and then this is the way it opened up. And this led to another box, which led, which had two cassettes, which led to two more boxes, which led to a bunch more boxes. And these were holding solid silver miniatures of the mosque at Mecca and Medina. Then they, this is David and I, with a stack of boxes. Then they wanted frames for this big exhibit. Then we did this wood marquetry piece. This just went on five years worth of work. I got a one call from one of my students. It was amazing. So this was the exhibit in Saudi Arabia. Crazy. And then Marty, who owns the company, says, hey, I like your art. How about making a conference room table for me? So I made a model, ended up making this conference table. How about a table for my office? Made this table for his office. So I was now getting involved in all kinds of stuff. And it's all that networking. It's all these people that you interact with and you remain friends with. And then, once again, I pissed my friends off and took mold to their faces. And, um, this is my Oda HR Geiger, because I love the alien stuff. Um, did this piece, which just you know kind of kept the wheels turning. Um, and so now I decided, you know, I I I always had this thing. Of, I hated TV actually. I still don't. I'm still not that fond of it. Um, oddly, I was working in it, but I, I I didn't really like it, especially the commercializing of it. And um, so I decided to do my own TV series. 
Uh, but this was before flat screens when the TVs had these big picture tubes on the back. So I said, okay, I'm going to take molds of my friends' faces. They're going to be the picture tube. The back of their friends are going to be the screen. And I started making this whole series of pieces. And this goes back to my McDonnell Douglas days. So I started collecting all these aerospace parts uh, from these aerospace circle things and combining them together. So this in the top is Sandy Martin, the producer on the TV commercials, and her husband Ed down below, uh, the cinematographer. So again, involving my friends. Um, and then I just continued a variety of different sort of iterations of this TV series that I made. Maureen is in here twice. She's there and there. And then one of my, I used that mold again for my face to make my own self-portrait of my love of TV. Um, early 90s, the recession hit. Now this was, again, nothing like the one that hit in 2008, but it was one where I saw a lot of my work drying up. The Saudi Arabia project was done. A lot of the architects that I was building models for were moving out of LA. And so I got an opportunity to return to Disney. Now this is the Disney store. And they said, you know, we're the, the retail side of the company. Um, and it was a whole different gig. They said, you know, you'd be managing the thematic production and the installation and the Indian field art direction of all these really heavily themed environments. So I thought, okay, that's cool. Back to blueprints again. I had to be able to read blueprints. I had to actually incorporate my piece of puzzle into the blueprints. And, you know, these were heavily themed stores, you know, had stuff hanging from the ceiling. So I had to work with model builders. I worked with structural engineers because we had to hang it over people's heads, had to be safe. I worked with sculptors. I worked with painters, with, you know, um, mural painters. And, you know, it was mass production. We were doing these stores in every mall across the US. I hated going to malls. And now all of a sudden I'm in every mall in the United States. Um, but it was, it was a fun job. It was a really fun job. And I had vendors all over the place too. So when I wasn't actually at the site doing art direction, I was managing the vendors. Um, and I had a, a number of vendors in Toronto especially. Um, and then um, I got to, to be part of the global partnership. We're expanding into Europe. We're expanding into to Asia, ma mainly Japan um, at that time. And it was unbelievable. I got to travel around the world putting Disney stores, you know, in cities all over Europe. And, and flagship stores like the Champs-Élysées in Paris, 30-foot diameter chandelier, all silver lake. You know, I, was, I felt really lucky because everywhere I went, there was some new challenge. These are the flagship stores, but we're still doing that rollout of the standard uh, thing. My painters in uh, Florence, Italy, um, Tokyo, you know, this is at the XPR Center, which is just outside of Tokyo Disneyland. And sort of every store we did was different on these flagships. But I always had some work. So as much as I was traveling back and forth, I, and, and this is the beauty of having a studio that's actually part of our home, um, is that I always had something going. And so um, this time I decided I was going to explore glass because I like those table commissions that I did. So I got this idea for um, what I'm, I'm calling my uh, microscope slide series. And it goes back to my biology days when I used to look at the slides under the microscope and I said, what if you take that slide, stand it up on its edge vertically, mount it into a steel base, and whatever I was looking at, which is always in the middle of the slides, is trying to crawl off to the edge. So that's what this ended up being. I used a bunch of different materials. Um, these are six foot tall slabs of glass, and I just kept experimenting with how you, again, it becomes an engineering thing. How do you incorporate these materials onto that slab of glass? So, um, and now, back to Disney. They decided they were doing away with the theming because the stores weren't doing well. It was because the theming was basically detracting from the merchandise. Well, the reality was the merchandise was crap. Um, but, you know, that, that, this was their view. So they wanted to do a non-themed store, and I thought, well, crap, I'm going to lose my job. You know, if there's no theming, what am I going to do? That was my job. So I had a friend who um, was managing the fixture 
and hardware production. So the floor fixtures, the wall bays, all the hardware and shelves and everything. And she was leaving the company. And I said, I can do that. I know how to do that. So it's just managing a different type of vendors. And again, I'm reading blueprints. I'm looking through all the designs of all the fixture components and stuff. So it was great. So this was our non-themed version of the Disney store, but still fun to do. And I'm still traveling around the world, putting them all over the place. And then I decided, uh, because I was traveling so much, it was getting harder and harder to do my art. So I had to do art by management. So this is uh, the corner of my studio in our house. Uh, these are some of the models that I was working on at the time. And you can get a reference to scale, because this is a real human skull. That's my first wife. And um, I don't know where the rest of her is, but yeah, I managed to get that one. Um, and, and so a lot of these, you know, sometimes I just made it purely uh, foam core, quick and dirty. Um, and then sometimes I made more elaborate. So on the, the first series I did, which were all glass, I would make a, a, a small model out of foam core, and then I'd get three-quarter inch gator foam, for those of you that know what gator foam is, and make the piece full size, and hot glue it all together, and label all the parts, and break them all back apart, and take it to the glass company and say, make me these parts, and then bring it back and put it all back together. So this is the first piece I did, and it created some just amazing shadows. So this piece led to a bunch of commissions. I started doing variations of it, all sorts of different variations, but people loved this. Um, then I did my askew columns, sort of like my wooden bronze one that I did earlier. Um, and then some very geometric ones, and then I started doing wall pieces, but again, with the sort of crude models, but you know, helped me define the finished piece. And all these ended up being you know, technical challenges. How do you put them together? How do you support them on the wall? And then this one, nine feet tall. That's when I decided I had to get, start doing smaller pieces, because the nine foot tall pieces were a little hard to, uh, to maneuver around. Um, so I did my tabletop series, which was just, you know, these, this is actually parts and pieces that were laying around my studio that I put together with some, you know, defective glass that I used on some of the other pieces. Um, and now back to Disney. So Disney sold the stores. They weren't making any money, boom, we're done. They sold them to the children's place, no more Disney stores. Now I'm out of a job again, ah, crap. Okay, one more time. So um, I had a, <laughs> At the Disney store, was, like I said earlier, I was working with a lot of architects. Um, and it, with the Disney store, I was working uh, with an architectural firm called Lenane Drews. And Don Lenane called me and said, hey, I heard you just lost your job. So what are you going to do? Or no, so he said, let me take you to lunch. So I said, okay. So I went to lunch, and uh, he and Jim, his partner, were sitting there. And I said, well, so what are you going to do now? You don't have a job. And they said, well, you know, I have an MFA in sculpture, and I think I'm going to go back to do my work. And he said, oh, we didn't know you were a sculptor. So we're building a new building. Would you like to make a sculpture for out in front of it? It's like, yes. So, so I designed a model. And um, this is the model. And it's 17 feet tall, weighed a ton. Um, and you know, different angles. I had to lose the, the lower uh, stainless steel ring because they were afraid the kids would come and jump on it. But that's you know, compromising with the client. It's the client's piece, ultimately. So this was fun. My first outdoor piece. Um, now, while I was in the middle of doing that, Disney called me again. Every time I turned around and I lost my job, another opportunity to go back to Disney came, came into focus. And, and you know, to me, it was like uh, I kind of wanted to end my career. So now this time I'm managing a department. This is more of a role producer. So I'm working with the finance team to justify um, doing things. So the middle of Tomorrowland, there was this attraction that was sitting there not working. And there was this box at the bottom that one time housed Radio Disney. Nothing was happening in there. So I said, well, I can make that into a merch shop. So we'll turn it into Tomorrowland. Easy to sell to finance, saying, like, you know, empty space. I'm going to generate revenue out of it. So we did. Uh, ticket booth in downtown Disney closed. Nothing happening. I can make that into a merchandise shop, Disney Pin Trade. 
again, easy to sell to finance, but I had to be able to sell it and, and, and work with finance to say how much revenue can we generate. Then 2008, that damn great recession man. They laid out my whole staff. I had 20 projects in the works at the time, and I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm gonna fail. There is no way I could do any of these projects without a staff. <laughs> I could barely do it with a staff. And so, um, just so happened to my friends, Oh, yeah, I forgot. I always had some art and work. So now, this is my face again, turned upside down, uh, with light shining through it on a mirrored surface. I, I told you I kept you know, the six uh, models, or actually fiberglass pieces that I made, came in handy. And just another you know, exploration. Then I had to make a brain bug. Everybody has to make a brain bug at one time or another. This was fun, on a mirrored surface also. So then, Disney bought back the stores. And so now my staff is laid off. I'm thinking about, you know, I don't, I, leaving. I, I didn't want to uh, work in a job that I couldn't be successful at. And the Disney store calls me up and says, hey, you want to come back? And I went, okay. But now I'm managing theme and fixtures. So I did it. And this was their version of Imagination Park, which had some interactive aspects and um, interactive castle, all kinds of stuff. And I think that's the store that's actually being done now. We did Times Square. Um, and we did Stockton Street in San Francisco, so I was hopscotching between L.A., New York, San Francisco, L.A., New York, San Francisco. Insane. It was insane. But we got them done. And then I got an opportunity to go to Walt Disney Imagineer. They called me up, and I don't know, I guess the word got out or something that I could do this stuff. And so um, I joined them, but another person. This is my, my most recent art series, my face again. Uh, this is my jawless series, so everything in here has no jaw. That's a deer skull turned upside down. Um, it was fun, but this is me taking a lot of parts and pieces that were in my studio and using them with bones and stuff and making some art. And then, now, come full circle, back to Shanghai. So, um, Shanghai was a huge challenge, and when Bob Weiss, who was the president of Imagineering, came to me and asked me to do it. Maureen and I looked at lists of pros and cons. I knew I was going to have to move to China. I knew she couldn't because of her career. I decided I had to do it because there's nothing else. So this was the first time I was there. Just uh, They had done the grading. They had done the infrastructure. This was farmland when it first started. Um, and then um, this is the site. So that's the theme park. This is an expansion for Second Gate theme park. This is a lake that we built. Disneyland Hotel, Toy Story Hotel. My responsibility as the, of the main entrance started out here. Toll plaza for the freeway. I had the toll plaza as mine. Parking lot was mine. Which, you know, say, why do you need a creative director for a parking lot? Well, we had over 400 graphics in that parking lot, including banners, Disney banners, customized theme pole, light poles, um, uh, specialized area development. We had a, a guest services facility at the bottom, and then a bridge, the length of four football fields that went across here. Then you go over, you go over to the entrance to the park. I had the, the entry fountain and um, all of this area here, but I'll show you on a little tighter view. So this is the theme park itself, close up. So actually, the parking lot and everything is off the map here. But this is the last part of that bridge I was talking about. Then the entry fountain is right here. Ticket booths, turnstiles, guest services, stroller rental, entry portal, which is if you've been to a Disney theme park, it's like the train station. You walk through the tunnel. Then this, which is typically Main Street in the park, we, we came up with a whole new uh, uh, conceptual idea of what the entrance to the park would be. It's called Mickey Avenue, and it's, um, it's very thematic, but it's not cartoonish. Um, and um, we 
put a tower in the middle, and then up on the tower you could climb up, and I got a sort of a 360 degree view. This was my first view out of the main entrance of what I had to build. Then this is me in the tower with it doing a selfie after we had steel up, um, steel happening in the main entry. And I threw this in because this is the way it all starts, the conceptual renderings that you have to sell to the, to the leaders of the company. So this is as if I'm in that tower looking back out, um, and this was the Avenue Entry Portal. Um, and it came all the way over here, it's played around the parade ground, all the way over here. Um, pretty elaborate. And then this was in the real, as it was happening. Um, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. Every day was insane, seven days a week. We were, we were doing uh, three shifts to get this park open on time. Um, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So now I want to, uh, that's kind of the end of my overall discussion with you guys. What I want to do is question and answers. And I thought I would do it and just sort of run this slideshow. This, this is kind of, it's, it's I, because when I was doing the, the park, I was working with uh, steel vendors, with glass vendors, with, um, you know, again, sculptors, painters, uh, you name it. So I was always at vendors or on the site or on the scaffolding. Pretty insane. So are you good with that? It's quiet in here. <laughs> so can I run the slideshow? Yes, please. Okay. And then are, are you going to... Do you okay? Because I have a little background music. Because I don't want to go through this. It's about a 10-minute slideshow, and we just kind of go. And then as it's going, please ask questions. We're going to see if I can get this working. I think we're good. Music. Cue the music. Questions? Four more. I don't know. I, you know, it, it's funny because now that I'm able. Oh, sorry, I forgot to start the slideshow. Oh, do that. All right, here we go. All right, um, I do. And uh, what I'm doing right now in my studio at home is just kind of starting to lay stuff out on the table because, frankly, this was the last five years of my career at Disney, and it took up my entire life. So, as this was happening. You know, there was no way I could get involved in any art. So now I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to it now that I'm officially retired. So the first thing was to clean up my studio so it was a working studio once again. Um, but um, you can see as we go through this, you know, it, it was a pretty amazing experience. Any other questions? Yes? I'm not sure if everybody could hear that. So you, Please say that again. Well, I said if Disney were to like ask you to do something else, would you would you be willing to do it? If, um, you, like, really if they begged me, really? Yeah, no. Um, I, I'll tell you, um, I'd have to talk to Maureen because uh, <laughs> you know the two of us finally retired, and 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 you know this truly was an amazing career. And as you can see, it was not a straight line. I was bouncing all over the place. Um, but by the time it was over, especially by the time this project was over. I needed a rest, you know. And so now I'm really trying to you know, regroup. I haven't got used to being retired yet, frankly. I really haven't. Um, and so to answer your question, if Disney came to me tomorrow and said, hey, you know, I'd talk to Maureen, but I'm pretty sure, I, depending on the commitment, level of commitment, I would consider something again. And just, you know, short term. I would never jump into, like, hey, we're doing the second gate at Shanghai, which they're going to do, and, and, and jump into that. No, but... Yes. 
Uh, my studio is in Los Angeles, in our house. We, have, we, we got really lucky. When we found this house, it was a dump. It was a total fixer-upper, and Maureen found it. But it was, it was the bones. You saw the bones. So it, 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 the first level is kind of wide open. Stairs go up, and then there's a, actually, we have a carport instead of a garage, but there's a uh, room on top of the carport, which is kind of separate from the house, and then it goes up to the second floor. So it's almost like a tri-level. And that room of the carport is just a perfect studio farm. So it's in, a, it's in our house. Yes? Um, I have it personally, no. Yeah, so what I end up doing is working with people, like I worked with a ton of graphic designers. We had a whole graphic design team and, um, you know, and, and an interactive team too. Uh, we, you know, just so many different things. And you'll see the interesting thing, you're seeing some English and some Chinese. We very uh, carefully chose where to go English only and where to go Chinese first, English secondary. Um, throughout, and, and at the main interest to any of the retail shops or merchandise shops, it had to be Chinese first, English second. All the operational signs, Chinese first, English second. But when we did what was called show graphics, where the visual, like the barbershop, you could tell it was a barbershop. So we did it in English, and part of that was by design because there are so many people in China now that, you know, are learning English and want to learn English. And a lot of the older generation don't know, so now the kids are teaching it to their parents. So the kids can say, that's how you spell barbershop in English. That's what the word is. Anything else? Questions? Yes? Um, do you have any tips or advice on how to do it in the internship, like how to get in, things they look for? Okay, so... If you're interested in a Disney internship or even a job with Disney, um, the first thing you have to do is go to DisneyJobs.com. And if you go there and upload your resume, that's step one. And, and until you've done that, you, you can't find out any information. Once you've done that, um, then you can start getting into the website and look at, type in internships and start heading down that path. Okay, thank yeah. you. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes I do, you know, I, I do, but, but it, I, frankly, I try to avoid Disney theme parks. <laughs> I, I, after this one, you know, it was like, oh, man, I, I really didn't want to ever go to, well, you know, how many in here have been to a Disney theme park? Okay, quite a few of you. So, you know, one of the things you have to contend with are crowds and long lines, you know, and there's no bigger crowd than Shanghai, China, let me tell you. And so, you know, Maureen and I were there for the grand opening festivities, and as soon as the festivities were done, we practically ran out of there because they were gonna start letting the people in, and it was like opening the floodgates, you know. Um, and even when we came back, we had some friends who had wanted to go to Disneyland in Anaheim, hadn't been there for years, and so um, we went, and I, I standing in line, and for the crowds, I'm going, uh, why do people go here on vacation? So anyway. They're, they're, they're lovely. I love Disney theme parks for what they are. I think they're wonderful. You can have a great time there, but um, I, I just need to stay away from them for a little while. Anything else? Questions? Questions? These are good. These are all good questions. Okay. Yes? Where do you get your inspiration for your abstract art? Does it have like a mood or a feeling to it? Like I saw with your TV one, it seemed very like, you could see that you, it almost looks like you really don't like TV, like pulling <laughs> the life out of you. Good. I like that. So, so it works. It's like so... With the other abstractions that are like less noticeable, like yeah. I, does it have a feeling? Does it have a? 
Yes. So that. So my my artwork, my personal sculpture, has gone through, as you can see, all sorts of different phases. Sometimes it's purely the technical side of it. How do you put these pieces together? Okay. And and sometimes, like the like I said, the. Um, the Jawless series was, I went through and started pulling out all the raw materials I had on the shelves, laying them out on the table, which is what I'm doing now again, to right. say, how can I put these things together? So it doesn't always have, for me, it doesn't always have a deep meaning. Okay. Um, but every once in a while, I, I want to make a statement. And with the TV thing, I did for sure. So right. thank you. Yes. Throughout your career, you mentioned a lot of adversities that you have to face, like you got knocked down a couple of times, but where do you find the, the, the energy to get back up and say, wait, I can do this? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Did you all hear that question? So, you know, throughout my career, I've gotten knocked down a few times, and, and, and a gentleman asked, you know, where do you, you know, summon up the courage to, to, to do it again, you know? And I think that's, um, you know, that's about confidence. That's, you know, that's something that you guys are going to start building right now, which is why I, I, I went and got my K-12 teaching certificate. I thought, if I'm going to even consider teaching, I better know that I can do this, you know. And by doing that, I gained some confidence. And that sort of happened every step along the way. So when I'd get knocked down, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd kind of hang my head for a little while and go, okay, I'm, I'm not ready to give up yet, you know? And so I'd start looking at alternatives. And there was a period of time when I was sending out resumes and networking to all the people that I used to work with when the Disney uh, store sold the, the, the company, basically sold the, sold the stores. And by doing that, by sending out all of these and going on interviews, all of a sudden I went, oh, I have a lot to offer. You know, so I was worried about the fact that I lost my job. But once I started networking and started talking to people, I got that confidence back. It's like, I, you know, look at the experience I have. I, I I'm going to somehow be able to get a job again. So, that that's kind of what, how it worked for me. Self confidence, important. Yes. That's a really good question. She wants to know if I was fluent in any other languages. And the answer to that is is um, no, no. In fact, in fact, whenever I went to another country, so, so Japan, for example, um, we always had interpreters with us. And, and I had a partner in Japan, Hiro Maruyama, who was amazing, spoke perfect English. In fact, he listened to him on the phone, you would have thought he was from Texas. Um, and he um, helped me. You know, so I would always try to speak the language. And in fact, if Maureen and I go on a vacation somewhere, we try to learn the local language at least enough to sort of you know, go into a restaurant and ask for the food or something like that. And China, when uh, we went to China for the first time, Disney offers this. Uh, first, they gave us cultural training because you, you need to understand the culture because it's incredibly different from us and in ways that you could never imagine. But the language is so difficult. So they gave us what they called survival, survival Mandarin. And it was five classes. And the problem was, we were all so busy. I took the first class, and then I missed the next two. And then I tried to go to the... To the, to the next one, and I was so far behind from missing the other two, I gave up. Because it's just, it's incredibly difficult. The thing is, with our cell phone, we got an app called Smart Shanghai, and if you wanted to get somewhere, you just hit the little taxi cab and hold it up to the driver and say, take me there, you know? So, um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I'd say when you're younger, I, I wished I knew another language. I'd love to know Spanish, especially, you know, living out in, in LA. Um, and um, you know, I would love to have learned Japanese, and I'd love to learn Chinese, but I'm I'm too old. I mean, seriously, I couldn't do it. So, anything else? Please keep asking. Keep asking. Yes. The Shanghai project, um, from start to finish, was 17 years, 
And the reason is, and, and the 17 years is what Bob Iger, our CEO, spent um, in the first year early negotiating and all the, you know, all the business transactions and everything that had to happen to get that, the wheels turning. And then after we broke ground, um, we literally opened the park. Um, uh, see that, we broke down in 2014. We opened the park in June of 2016. So from, from groundbreaking to park opening, two years. And it was the uh, most intense two years of my life. Yes, uh, there was another one over here. Yes, outside. No, my wife, um, uh, she, when I first met her, when I was living in the loft downtown LA, she was a vice president in corporate banking. And um, that, the, one of the reasons, plug your ears, okay? One of the reasons I married her is I thought she could be my sugar mama, you know? <laughs> I was not going to have to work anymore. I'm marrying a VP of banking, yes. Um, turned out not to be that. Um, um, because after we uh, decided to get married and stuff, she was very unhappy. She was, uh, um, uh, as you can see, a very petite woman in a man's world at the time, especially, and not liking the politics and everything that's going on. And so uh, she decided to leave her job, and, and I was working for Disney again. So we agreed she'd leave her job. I'd have the, the medical benefits, and I'd have the, the regular paycheck. Um, and she ultimately decided to go into teaching, ended up um, uh, uh, retiring as a third grade elementary school teacher. So yeah, very different from my career. And in fact, uh, she retired in 2015 when I was already living in China. And so that's the reason she couldn't move with me. So she would come over and visit me. Other questions? Yes, the back. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I really liked Japan a lot. Japan is a, is a wonderful place. The people are warm and welcoming. Um, Maureen, what do you think? <coughs> yep, there you go. Japan. Japan is really cool. Yes? Favorite job? Um, I think I'd have to say the this, this Shanghai uh, project because, you know, up until then, you know, I had a lot of different types of responsibility. This was um, sort of the all-encompassing overwhelming, you know? Um, but at the end, I mean, it, it's so gratifying to look at this and think that, you know, I had something to do with all of it. So I think that's my favorite. Yeah? How did you even have time for relationships and networking? Um, I think that's the biggest thing, like when you're trying to work and go to school and have a relationship and friends. Like, it just doesn't seem like there's enough time in the day, but it seems like you did triple that. Well, um, I'll tell you, is, is a lot of my networking happened, you know, in between things because that, as you can see from my story, is that, you know, I found myself from time to time not having a job or, you know, in between, and, but, but, but that's not fair because actually you have to keep in touch with those people along the way. And, you know, I didn't consciously say, okay, here's the list, these, I have to keep in touch with these people or else, you know, because I may need another job. It wasn't that. Part of it is just relationships building. It's like friends, you know? So you're just you, genuinely friendly and outgoing. Like, I, well, I think so. I, you know, I, there are people that would uh, disagree with that, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I think so. And, and it really is friendships, you know, that, that, that matter. Other questions? Yes? I did. I did. So she wanted to know if I enjoyed my teaching experience. So um, in. Um, Boardman, my student teaching, 
was, was great. And like I said, I did high school at Boardman, and, and I can't remember where I did my um, elementary school and um, middle school. I can't remember the schools, but it was somewhere around the Youngstown area. And it was all great because it, it gave you such, hey, oh, now I can see you. Okay. So, so yeah, the student teaching experience was amazing for me. It did help me. Uh, part of it is that confidence that you gain, you know, standing up in front of the class and, you know, and trying to figure out how to make it all work. Yes. Any other questions? No other questions? All right, thank you. I'll be around this week too. You see me in the hall, come up and grab me, okay? This is my alma mater. We're going to sit there and see what happens, yeah. I think. I think it's going to be more of an interactive, like, question and answer thing. So, coming out of the morning, think about it between now and then. Yeah.